Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, this is Benjamin Boyce, and welcome to my YouTube channel. I've been working, as you probably know by now, on an ongoing series on gender, sexuality, and transition. And this has led me to meeting a plethora of individuals with a diversity, a true diversity, of ideas and experiences. And today's interview is with Kate from Australia. Now, what happened to Kate was that her body produced a tumor that secreted androgens into her system, androgens being the male hormones. This caused her to go through a natural, quote-unquote, transition, unbeknownst to her. So this interview is about that experience of having that tumor, of undergoing that transition, but it also gets into her struggles with identity and trying to erect a sense of self and how the categories of identities formed kind of uh, markers for her to develop within and then how she eventually got beyond those, you know, those categories into being a more true, uh, authentic self. So that all said, here is Kate. And how did you find my work then? I don't know. I was having this conversation with one of my friends the other day um, because he was saying how your shadow band or something. Um, what was it? Yeah. Uh, Google's I, doing something weird. Yeah, something weird. They're always doing something weird. I think because I was watching Peak Resilience uh, project videos as well as other female to male detransition videos, and I guess through the algorithm you may have shown up because you were doing interviews with the people I'd already been watching. And why were you watching detrans videos? I want to understand it, and it felt like being able to understand it might help in my own situation. Should I just like, I don't really know how to go into it. <laughs> like, well, you, you have a very specific, uh, or had a, a very specific condition that I think I've yeah. even spoken with, or at least read about where you had a, a mm. tumor that was yeah. secreting yeah. male hormones into your body. Yeah. Androgens. I did write notes <laughs> to keep myself on track. It was like well, mapping my life out since I was 17. Oh, really? it was yeah. <laughs> and, and so 17 is when you first uh, felt the effects or when it was first diagnosed? Neither. Uh, it was more coming for a point where I guess identity issues started transpiring um, in regards to like questioning sexuality um, and my place in the world, I guess. So I've never really had like a fixed sense of identity. Like I grew up uh, in a small town where I think a lot of people tried to be like everyone else, so a lot of conforming. Um, I also grew up as a triplet, so having, yeah, <laughs> I have a sister who we don't know if we're identical, and I have a brother, so we're like the three that shared a womb. Um, I think so trying to separate myself from that, um, or at least find myself like find a sense of individuality away from that um, was something that came to light probably around when I was like 16, 17. 
yeah, I think I was always trying to find my own way, but, you know, never really being sure. You use two terms, and this is kind of an interesting <laughs> tension between separating okay. yourself or distinguishing yourself and mm. finding yourself, which doesn't necessarily oh. have to do with being different than everybody else. It's kind of just initiating a process of discovery rather than than a definition. Uh, and and we all go through that, especially during that phase, and like trying both of those ways and trying on uh, a lot of different masks. Did you, mm. looking back on it, what was that process like for you? The process of finding discovering or, or separating yourself difficult process was difficult being labeled as something from a young age like oh like you're a triplet and then that kind of informed my identity in a way where it was kind of like the first thing I would think about if I was to meet someone new and you know how people want to get to know you it just felt like that thing that the, like in an icebreaker you know, when yeah, they're I like, mean, what are the odds of that? Do you know the odds yeah. of being a triplet? No, I don't know the odds per se, but there aren't many in like my region or you don't hear about it often. And it's not like um, my parents or family ever tried to uh, make it a thing. I think my mum was quite um, more concerned with letting us be individual. But like I was saying, like growing up in a small town, only having, say, in primary school, one class for the three of us. It's very hard to separate and, yeah, be able to find yourself at the same time. So it probably wasn't until I moved away from home when I went to university. I moved probably like two hours away where I live now. My family don't live close to me. Um, that I realized because I didn't move with my brother and sister or, uh, people didn't know me. Um, it was like this whole new world, I guess. Was that and easy I, to be away from your family? I mean, being in a triplet situation, I don't know how the mind works in triplicate like that. I can kind of <laughs> understand like a, a twin kind yeah. of processing, but, um, was that well, a whole bunch of liberation, uh, relief? I think it was like, I didn't have anything to rely on anymore like it was me um yeah and I had to I think distinguish myself and not always fall back on like a label okay this is a personal question but you brought it up and we can it, treat it as, as you want to treat it. it but you mentioned like like the sexuality component and defining yourself sexuality mm. uh mm. and where that intersects with an identity if that was an easy way to say this is mm. what i am and then i can make a who after i figure out what i am was that kind no it of was something that was going on it, um if i'm following where you're going it was quite difficult to ever ascertain hmm. some sense of sexuality for myself. Um, As in I desire of another? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, I mean, in primary school, so primary school is your elementary school, I think. Do you have a grade uh, or an age? I guess we can just use ages. Uh, so, it's like, you know, 9 to 12, that bracket of... And I don't know what kind of actual real feelings were behind it, but 
that was kind of the age where my friends and stuff, they were all like, oh, I have a crush on this boy. And like, they'd send notes to each other, um, all that kind of stuff. And I did that too. And I don't think there was ever really any real feeling Hmm. behind that. Like being a, what, nine, 10, 11, 12 year old. Like, I don't know what kind of real desires ever behind uh, well, what what uh, captured your attention while everybody else was playing the pre-dating game? Like, what what would you get fixated on? I don't even know. I think I joined in with it. I think I became a part of it. Um, so moving into high school, I think that's even then, like with friends, and they started like dating or talking to or whatever to. Um, like boys at school or boys in the area or something. And I don't know, I was never really interested in it. I think I liked to pretend I was interested in it, but uh, never really followed through with anything. Like even if I was like, oh, yeah, like I'm talking to this boy and like I like him. But like I think I was at that moment, yeah, following the crowd, a bit of a sheep, you know. But I think I was still looking for ways to like define myself and understand myself. But this time of my life gets kind of muddled with like mental health stuff and like anxiety and depression. I think I was becoming quite like self-destructive in a way by like not sleeping well or self-harming or not taking care of my body in terms of nutrition or health. Mm. But, um, but were you, um, some of the young women that I've spoken to, they mm. uh, would get heavily invested in the internet uh, during that's what I'm going into. Were you yeah, very but, invested in that virtual um, life? Somewhat, yeah. Um, so this was about the time where I, I think I got like my, my first computer, uh, <laughs> and we'd always just have a family computer. But that was sorry, I don't know if you can hear my notifications going off. And I think I got onto Tumblr. I think my I knew about it. I think when I was like. 14, 15, and I made an account. I don't remember why. I think it was that sense of anonymity, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What kind of uh, society did you find there, or what kind of? Uh, I don't really understand Tumblr. Mm-hmm. Tumblr, but you can kind of yeah. assemble uh, a news feed, right? Yeah. Correct. Correct. Um, I think I got into like it was like a lot of mental health stuff, but I say mental health in that. I think the people I was following were experiencing similar issues to myself. So it was quite, Hmm. uh, I don't know how to describe it. Like people feeding off one another. It almost seems like, Hmm. um, like venting their issues. And there was always stuff about like triggers and, um, you know, I think a lot of people venting about family and friends, not understanding them, or there was a lot of, secrecy involved as well like these people I followed not wanting people to ever find their accounts for obvious reasons because they're posting about like say self-harm or eating disorder related Hmm. uh issues of concern yeah a lot of secrecy privacy and um but I think it was like a community yeah like feeding off of itself like it's young people like all sharing this space and talking about things and I think almost an element of competition, like who had it worse, who's got the worst behaviors. Yeah. 
So the themes <laughs> that you invested your attention into were more uh, dramatic kind of eating <laughs> disorders and teen angstiness. Yeah. And... yeah, like to give you a visual, it was all just like black and white themed blogs and all this dramatic stuff, angst, all the all of it. And but you, like you, you saying, said earlier that you didn't uh, express. Did you express yourself too? Did you join in and write? posts and... i found it difficult to write posts like i would do like reblogs and stuff but i always found like every time i would try write something personal i just delete it <laughs> and not really um engage i think i was just i was looking for something i don't know what i was looking for but hmm. yeah i never really felt comfortable sharing intimate details maybe because i didn't understand it or I'm not really sure why. But um, was there an element of satisfaction in, in seeing other people's details? Is that what, what yeah, was it like? Were you getting was, some sort of gratification out of that? Or were, do you think that yeah. it was helping you to understand yourself more? Or? Yeah, I think there was an element of like confirmation and reassurance. Like it was some sense of like gratification from it in a way. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it was also quite enabling at the same time. So, in what way? Uh, in the way that... Oh, it kind of probably links to what I was saying before about that element of competition. Like, I guess it's hard to tell if... I mean, I know I was already struggling within myself and I think self-harm became a way of expressing myself in ways that words could not. Hmm. Um because I, like I was saying, like I just, I never really felt like I could verbalize these things, and maybe it became my sense of an outlet. But I mean, enabling in a way that other people are doing it, I can do it too, and I can get away with it. And there was this way of, hmm. oh, here's how you can hide it. Um, uh, so you did hide it then. So it was kind of like you made a kind of a, a safe room uh, built out of yeah. uh, discomfort, perhaps. Yeah, like the whole, yeah. Um, covering my body in a way that hmm. I would disguise scars, um, which it became quite a focal point of my thoughts. I think always thinking about that and like, but at the same time, that element of just wanting someone to know, but not wanting hmm. to say it. Hmm. Yeah. So it's an and interesting when did, mix. Of when did you start to shake that off? Um, like stop uh, engaging the behaviours, do you mean? Yeah. Like stop self-harming? Um, I don't know, maybe, oh, like it was throughout high school and I think I sort of stopped near graduation maybe. Like I was like, oh, you know, I'm over this. Or I, I mean, I don't mean it so nonchalant. Like I was probably processing it at the time. But I think also just I had those concerns about if I was older and looking back on it, would I regret it um, in terms of making changes to my body? Like scars are permanent, I guess. <laughs> Sounds fake deep, but. Uh, <laughs> this is going to be one of my most edgy episodes ever, just like, you know, I can feel it. 
<laughs> edgy as that's me um we're gonna have to do this in four four panels that's what i'm gonna do. <laughs> um but then i guess i re-engaged in those behaviors at university i think when i had again that sense of independence and um but also struggling within myself at the same time and not being able to express that i think the um, behaviors returned that lingering thought of still just, I think, wanting help but not knowing how to get it. At university, uh, and again, feel free to disregard this, uh, did you add uh, any experimentation with substances uh, to yeah. the things? And and was yeah. that another outlet or yeah. how did that go So there was you? like a, a real culture of um, drinking alcohol. Okay. Um a lot of our social activities because I lived in like a, a dorm situation like I lived on campus um in like this building with like 50 people in it and I think probably like three times a week it was the norm to drink or go out or just chill but also drink um I got tired of that pretty quickly <laughs> um yeah <laughs> typically um but I think that's when I, well, yeah, that's when I started uh, smoking marijuana quite frequently. Um, other people had access to it. Um, and I enjoyed it more because there was less of like a, well, I saw it as less of like a health consequence than alcohol. Like alcohol makes you put on weight. Uh, and that was kind of something I was trying to avoid. So, and I like the effects of marijuana more, I guess. I think I was quite anxious in that environment uh, with a lot of people that I don't really know, but I also felt quite different hmm. in comparison to. So I think using substances helped me cope with the fact that I didn't really feel like I fit in with this idea of, like, I guess, popularity. And so like, you, you left the small town so you could be different, but then when you got to the big city, you didn't want to be different anymore. It was really difficult to Yeah, yeah. So fit in that point. I think yeah, definitely. <laughs> I think I wasted a lot of time hmm. trying to uh fit in with something that didn't really fit me. Um, but I found some good people, I found some cool people. And I think around the same time I found like the group of people um more like my home base of friends. I think that's when I was like, oh, I want to actually explore, at least come to terms with sexuality. Mm-hmm. So in high school, I think that was when I started to question it more. Um, I didn't, there was like this thing, like <laughs> um, I would find out, say like a guy had uh, not feelings for me, I wouldn't go that way of saying, but like, um, was interested in like dating me or I think yeah had some sense of attraction towards me I'd find that out and I would just like detach <laughs> completely <laughs> like um like I didn't want a part of it and did you think that it would be a game with uh, no worthy conclusion to it or did you not see it as an opportunity to get to know somebody better or was there this other I think I was just so scared I was so insecure, um, yeah, deeply insecure that even if I was to pursue something and 
be on the same page as someone, I don't even know how far it would have got uh, before I disengaged. Yeah. And I think at the time I took that as a sign of, hey, I might be gay because I'm not responding to this Mm. well. Like I'm detaching from my male counterparts. So I think I was looking deeply into what that could mean Mm -hmm. for myself. Like I was like desperately trying to like look for evidence in my life or my childhood uh, reasons why I may or might not be gay. Mm-hmm. Um, and if, if you knew that, why would that matter? Would that give you a sense of a claim to being yourself? I think I was really wanting to look for an objective truth um, to be able to say objectively, this is what I am. Um, yeah, like it wouldn't have made any difference, like looking back on it, but at the time it felt like really important for me to know at the same time, like, and it's not like at that time I was unaware of the fact, um, like bisexuality is a thing that you can have feelings towards both sexes. But, um, for me, I think I wanted something oh, I don't know how to describe it but like yeah objective and total and one side and but for some reason I didn't want the other side of it being heterosexual like and this links to like a lot of identity things and I've made like some hypothetical conclusions about myself and like growing up like we're saying at the start being a triplet and that sense of uniqueness in a small town and maybe throughout my life trying to seek that kind of Hmm. uniqueness all over and And stack it on top of itself. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. Like the special Olympics or something. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, the very um, special Olympics. Yeah. The very special. Um, but you, you said earlier that there wasn't, well, this is the impression that I got, that there wasn't a lot of desire moving you towards one direction or another. So were you seeking desire or were you missing uh, that? Did you look at everybody else hooking up and say, I, why am I not yeah. moved to do that? Is that? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think I was quite, um, like I was saying, reserved, but also embarrassed in maybe a lack of experience. So while in high school, my friends were going out and meeting people and dating and probably having like their first times for things. Mm-hmm. I was still, yeah, quite reserved, but I think the nature of my personality, um, ultimately made me feel like I was behind the scene in a sense. Um, but there wasn't really much strong desire in wanting to follow that. I kind of just wanted it to conveniently fall in my lap. Like I didn't want to actually have to go about and do it. Um, so when I was in university and I was like, okay, I want to take this more seriously. I remember like downloading like a Tinder account or something, but never really wanting to take that seriously either. I think it was more like my friends being like, you should do it. Like, because live, I, I moved to a larger city, but even then it was still quite, um, not as progressive as other parts mm-hmm. um, of the country or state. So I think Tinder became like an alternative to 
I mean, what I'm trying to say is it's hard to meet gay people in real life. (laughs) That felt very uncomfortable for me at the same time because, like I was saying earlier on, I found it quite difficult to express myself on, like, these kinds of formats. I'm concerned with the way I come across to people, like, say, from a message when I'm typing or when I'm not in, like, a physical space. I'm worried about how I'm being perceived and interpreted and mm-hmm. ways in which things can be misconstrued. So that was an avenue of self-discovery, but and there was some social pressure from that and some internal pressure from that, but it didn't really amount mm. to much. Yeah, I think um, until it was like the next year. So I don't know what compelled me. I ended up meeting up with this girl who I met on an uh, app, not Tinder, but more like a lesbian style of Tinder. And that was probably like one of the first people I talked to who I was more serious with actually like going through and meeting. And we ended up dating for like a few months. And I think and I took Was the as... goal to, to experiment or was the goal to be intimate with somebody uh, emotionally or mentally or, or physically? Like what was the... Um, what would have been the achievement the state of, of that at that, yeah, at that point? Yeah, I think I was becoming more and more concerned with my lack of experience. And I think I was just trying to tick boxes. Hmm. I don't think I was actually ever really, <laughs> sounds harsh, um, interested in like an emotional connection, maybe like hmm. because I was so emotionally closed off at the same time. Like what emotional connection am I going to get from someone if I'm not willing to do the same? Okay. Um, so while we knew each other, it was casual. Um, I, in hindsight, I'd probably categorize it more as like being friends. Like we were intimate with each other and we did have sex, but I was always still quite uncomfortable hmm. with that. So again, that component of worrying about how I was being perceived and feeling exposed, but also quite ashamed of my physical form at the same time so we only dated a few months and things fell apart naturally as they do there was no animosity we're still friends now we still talk but i think after that because one of the reasons we kind of uh disconnected in a way was our individual mental health uh needs so like i was saying i don't know i was still probably quite just self-destructive in a way that i was still smoking marijuana a lot um and not really taking interventions seriously, like uh, antidepressants, like medical interventions, I guess. And and did you, I, looking back now, you, you see that as something that you should have been taking seriously? Um, maybe not antidepressants, but I probably should have been taking uh, other means of help seriously, like psychologists. So mm-hmm. I would start seeing a psychologist, wouldn't click with them, move on. Yeah. Um, but would never really discuss why it wasn't working. I would just kind of not show up, and that was that. There was never really any more um, conversation what, on that part. What was prompting you to go to the psychologist in the first place? Was it uh, the way that you're treating your body? Was it uh, a feeling of uh, disconnection or darkness? Or could you describe that, that which you yeah. wanted to deal with? I think I was still trying to find that objective truth in regards to my sexuality. And I thought being able to talk to a professional about it might uh, help me navigate um, 
where I was. And I think maybe I was trying to look for validation in a sense. Like I thought I came to the conclusion I'm a lesbian and I'd still have those doubts, but I think I chalked a lot of those doubts up to be about, I think there's always going to be a sense of doubt when it comes to um, these kinds of things. Um, I think I just wanted validation in that, you know, these doubts are normal, um, Mm -hmm. trust your feelings, like, I don't know what I was looking for. But I think, yeah, I was still struggling a lot with um, perception, uh, body image, like how I was treating my body. And I think I wanted to, yeah, seek help in regards to that as well, even though I wasn't really taking it quite seriously. Like, with the second psychologist I started seeing, like she was looking back on it very helpful and had um, great ways of um, viewing anxiety more from like a physiological standpoint, um, like Hmm. the nervous system and how what your body is actually doing when you're feeling anxious and ways you can manage that. I hadn't had that before, but I wasn't, I don't think I was really willing to, improve myself at that point but I, yeah I don't think I was really wanting to yeah, improve upon myself I think I didn't want to have to stop doing what I was doing mm-hmm. in terms of like <laughs> being self-destructive like it felt comfortable I guess hmm. <laughs> edgy <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah um but that's sort of about the time I dropped out of uni as well so I wasn't at that time in my life, really doing much. Uh, I wasn't working, so I don't know what you have in the States, but we have like a, um, it's called Centrelink, basically, and you basically get money from the government if you earn less than a certain amount per year or if you're a student or if um, you have a disability, like there's, yeah. I mean, it's not really enough to live life lavishly, but it's enough to for some people to get basic needs met. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I guess I was just like, I'm not going to go to work. I don't need to. I'm just going to sit at home and I'm going to smoke weed and I'm going to forget about my problems or hmm. continue with my problems. Did that help? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, no, but I was, I'm thinking back on it. Like I probably was using it, like I guess, substances to deal with the fact this is where it kind of gets into like all this stuff that happened with my body and tumor and such. I think I was using it in a way to cope with the fact that I didn't know what was really happening. Like I knew I felt I was really anxious. And again, like those issues of not knowing what I looked like and how I was being perceived and that being on constant replay in my head. Hmm. But that's about the same time I think I noticed that um, I had more hair growth in a sense, like facial hair growth or body hair growth, Mm -hmm. which I think I rationalized as... um, The dank weed. I actually did think about that one time, but no. <laughs> um, I think that was just the paranoia of smoking. Um, no, more of... Because I was still like a young adult. I am still a young adult, but I was younger then. And I think I chalked it up to be like, 
oh, this is just puberty doing its things. Like I'm still developing. So hair, hair growth as much as I think it's like compared to my friends who have like finer hair or maybe not as obvious hair. I was like, oh, it's okay. Like we're all different in the genetic game. Mm. Like, yeah. So I think it was different if I was like 30 and I'd finished developing and noticed like an increased hair growth. I would have been like, something's wrong. Mm-hmm. But because I think I saw it as like a natural part of my development, I kind of ignored it or at least played it off to be normal. How how did that square with your constant obsession with your body and your appearance? That seems yeah. like a, there's a contradiction there <laughs> where you're shrugging yeah. off a difference that might um, drive other people up the wall. What about a difference? What do you mean? Uh, just the way that your body was going uh, is kind of yeah. getting a little off the, the beaten track for the female body. But you, yeah. at the same time that it's doing that, you're justifying that, but you're still obsessing <laughs> about your body at the same time. Yes, yes, exactly. Um, so I was obsessing about it. And when I went, I, this is when I started seeing a psychologist who I was referred to by a GP who um, the GP knew this psychologist was a lesbian because I went to my GP and I was like, I think I'm struggling with my sexuality. Like, mm. I just don't know what it is. And she was like, hey, like, we've got this psychologist in our center who is a lesbian. Like, do you want me to refer you? And I was like, yeah, that'd be good. We can work through some stuff. Um, and she was great. She never, like, pushed an agenda. Like, I think she was just more wanting to have – wanting to understand me and not just the sexuality component. But she diagnosed me with body dysmorphic disorder, which uh, has similar traits to obsessive compulsive disorder. So there's mm, an obsession okay. with the body or maybe a fixation on a certain aspect of the body. So for some people, they might um, view their nose, for example, as like hideous and ugly and huge and they'll want plastic surgery to alleviate those feelings of distress people with like body dysmorphic disorder might engage in like hair pulling or something like to alleviate stress. So pull at hair. Mm. And I was doing that, but I was pulling a lot of like facial hair or something. It was a very specific sort of hair that you did yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. And I think huh. I saw that more as uh, an anxiety release rather than I was actually trying to hmm. hide the part of me that I didn't want there. Hmm. So probably the ways I would, talk to my psychologist it was always like I guess distress about perception and body image and I would like obsessively try look at myself in mirrors or reflections or mm-hmm. taking photos of myself just trying to like understand how other people could see me hmm. but looking back on it because my body was changing so rapidly of course I was going to have <laughs> difficulty in um except knowing or... what i looked like yeah yeah huh. and here, yeah it's hard to know what you look like it and in the end it doesn't really matter but i was quite obsessed with it so you um, got d- diagnosed with uh, body dysmorphia and what was the treatment mm-hmm. for that you had um, to do 10 sit-ups in the morning and three chin-ups <laughs> in the evening or how do you there wasn't necessarily a treatment i think it was more um go to therapy, uh, keep talking through it. But like I was saying earlier on, we get 10 free sessions and I reached the end of my 10 free sessions. And mm, I was working at this point, actually, I did get a job, but it wasn't enough where I could really justify spending like uh, $200 to see a psychologist. 
Yes. So although I'd been diagnosed with this, um, once those sessions ran out, I didn't really have much access to um, professional help. But I think I I did try to do like a lot of um, like work on myself. Um, I tried not to let it affect me as much and I was going through like dietary changes like I stopped eating meat which in hindsight probably wasn't a great idea so I was losing a lot of weight from having a restricted diet okay which didn't help the body dysmorphic disorder so did it increase the speed of change I think so yeah I've mapped it out on like like I was saying like I took a lot of photos of myself so like I've been able to like map out some sense of timeline and it's quite drastic in the way I used to look in say 2016 compared to before the tumor was taken out oh, I don't know how this is going to sound to like people who are watching this because I'm not really like getting to the point <laughs> it feels like we're talking about something that no one knows about we're, we're building a case study this is an art house film <laughs> we're just it's a slow burn it's a slow burn okay I like it no idea of the tumor in 2016 Okay. Uh, what I was aware of in 2016 was that I had body image is- body image issues and I was losing a lot of weight through dietary changes. But I was also putting on muscle. I was working, I am still working um, in retail industry as well, um, where it's a lot of physical work in a sense. Uh, it's a liquor store, so it's a warehouse. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot of walking, lifting, like a lot of like, and it's quite, like a masculine environment as well. I guess the clientele, if you will, um, a lot of older men. So I think even the way I would um, interact with people was more uh, masculine in a way. Could you qualify that just a bit? Like the like your uh, your speech patterns, the way you would joke around, the, how close you would get to people. I mean, just like on like an emotional yeah. or ver- verbal level. I think I was trying to match the like or mirror um, the ways in which the customers, mostly being men, would communicate. So, um, yeah, mostly in terms of, I guess I would associate the way they would communicate with like more like bluntness, directness, um, even the way I would hold myself, or yeah. <laughs> I would get. But also the way I was treated as well. Um, I get a lot of like, "Hey mate, how you going?" Um, so like more like neutral. Like it wasn't. It wasn't like I was like, "Hey love, how are you?" Like even okay. the way I was being treated was different. But that's kind of normal anyway. Like I'm not saying they were treating me different by how I looked because I don't think they're aware of how they communicate either. Hmm. Anyway, it's all complicated. Yeah. Um. Where were we going? So we're moving to like 2017 now, I think. And um, I still wasn't studying. I was still working, but I wasn't really doing much. Like I wasn't exploring. I wasn't going after things. I wasn't really expressing myself. I was kind of just like going through the motions. Um, But I did meet someone I worked with and she – um is a lesbian is a lesbian i should say um and i felt really connected her connected to her 
And I think that was also a sense of validation for myself and that I feel really connected to this person. We have a lot of similar qualities. We have a lot of similar experiences. I must be this thing too. Mm. And because I had feelings for her as well, like that was confirmation in, in itself for me. Um, even though I never really did anything with those feelings because inability to express myself. Um, Do you mind telling me what those feelings were, like an obsession with somebody or just like a general warmth in their direction? Could you express the quality of that? Yeah, it was more just like I wanted to spend time with her and it seemed like she wanted to spend time with me as well. Um, Feeling comfortable just to Mm. kind of do nothing with each other. I was quite anxious throughout the process as well in terms of wanting to impress her um or um yeah like I wanted her to have feelings for me too I guess but I was never willing to do that but I was also recognizing at the time that like I probably didn't fit what she was looking for in a way because I think I was starting to recognize like hey I'm not really like this uh feminine person um I think I was starting to not really see myself as a woman at that point I never really stopped identifying with being a woman but it was more like I don't think outside of people or like the public were seeing me how I saw myself. So I'd have interactions with customers where I could tell they were kind of confused about my presentation in a way. Like at this time I was very like flat chested, um, Mm. lost a lot of weight, you know, um, Mm. build up of muscle, hair growth, deeper voice. Mm. Um, I cut my hair shorter and I remember having this interaction with a customer where he was like, I, he, he didn't know how to address me, like ma'am or sir or whatever he was trying to say, but he was quite rude about it in a sense. And he was just like, I just don't know what you are. Like, I can't figure you out or something. He said that and I, directly? To me. Huh. Yeah. Um, that's paraphrasing. I can't remember the exact dialogue, but along the lines of that. Um, but his wife was very embarrassed. <laughs> um, how did you react to that, to hearing that? Um, I was kind of just like, okay, (laughs) Hmm. like I didn't really correct him and I didn't try to educate him. I I was in my place of work and I didn't want to start something. And I think that comes from a sense of politeness and anti-conflict and not really wanting to make a big deal out of things. So my personality traits coming into it at the same time, but I was offended and it did stick with me quite a bit. Um, especially because I was worrying about the same thing. Like, that's when I started realizing, like, I don't know, maybe, yeah, like, is that how everyone else is seeing me? Is that how I see myself? Um, yeah. Um, and the, did that initiate uh, some sort of, like, hardcore self-inventory or, or looking inside yourself? Or I guess you, you already said that you, it kind of boosted up what you were already thinking, but did that mm. like form a crux or, or a change in your direction or thinking? Um, I think I was, yes and no. Like, I think I was 
I was aware of it, but also unwilling to do anything about it. So I remember, like I was saying, like I don't live with my family and I wasn't seeing them that often. I'd, I'd go home and see them every couple of months. But when I would see them, like every time they would see me, I looked different like every hmm. time. Um, would in they terms remark of on that? Way, yeah. So my mum was probably more vocal about it. And she was like, you know, like, you should get yourself checked out. Um, uh, like, I think she was pointing out the fact that, you know, you have more hair than you used to. Or I think she just sort of was saying, you know, you you look different. Or And at that time, I was presenting myself differently as well. Like, I stopped wearing, like, feminine clothes. Like, not that I really was overly wearing dresses and skirts all the time. I would occasionally, but I was like almost exclusively shopping in the boys' clothes section or men's clothes section, I should say. And was say. there an intention behind that? I think it was more was at that time. Was it just a feeling I think, of... I think the intention was I wanted, although I still identified being female and like um, I think... People still viewed me as that. Maybe people just need to take like a second look at me to really figure it out. Like I think if it was, you were just passing me by, you'd probably clock me as like a guy at the time. But maybe mm -hmm. if we were to have a conversation or actually speak, um, it'd be less, I don't know. Um, but I think what I was trying to do was perform in a way. Um so, like, being at the time I identified as a lesbian, um, I guess I saw myself as more of, like, that, like, you know how there's, like, femme lesbians and butch lesbians. Yeah. Yeah, I was more, like, leaning towards, like, the butch end of the spectrum based off how I looked. And also at the time, though the, the clothes that, I guess, gender non-conforming women wear, i.e. men's clothing, um it fit me better as well because my body was accommodating to did that. It f did it fit your feelings too? Your, your feeling of, of self like that, that's just how you yeah. fit into the world better. It kind of just yeah, conformed I, you to the world. Yeah. It felt comfortable at the same time. Okay. Um, yeah. It felt like I was figuring myself out. Like I think, um, yeah, I saw it as just me being, like, gender non-conforming and why should I have to anyway? Like, I think there was, like, a, um, a well, maybe, like, a political agenda behind it because oh, okay. I was aware of, like, the social politics at play in that or I had an understanding of it in terms of um, I, at that time I was more along the lines of thinking gender is a social construct and mm -hmm. in the end doesn't really matter if like a female wears male clothing. I'm, it's hard to articulate, so it's probably not coming out right. Um, and even in terms of, uh, not removing body hair. So like growing out leg hair and armpit hair and not really putting in any effort to remove that. Um, I think I saw as a sign of me rejecting like patriarchal notions of womanhood. 
Yeah. yeah. Not as, hey, something could be wrong here. Hmm. Were you um, growing like a goatee or a facial? No, I, that was like the one thing I was still trying to um, not have. Um, so like I wouldn't shave or anything, but like I was saying early when we're talking about like um, compulsions around body dysmorphic disorder, like a lot of just like I would just like almost subconsciously like start like picking at it, trying to remove it. But I think that ended up being like a losing battle in a way because the more testosterone my body was producing, the harder it was to really maintain. Um, and I think I just kind of, I got into my head that because no one was pointing it out to me really, like no one was saying, Hey, like, looks like you're growing a beard or something. And I wasn't, but I'm being dramatic about it. Um, because no one was like directly pointing it out. Um, I thought I was also just imagining it. Like it was a part of like hmm. the mental illness aspect of it. Okay. Like a part of body dysmorphic disorder is that the fixation you have on a part of your body, it's, I'm not saying it's make believe, but, because you're hyper fixated on, fixated on it, you're not seeing yourself the way other people see you. So a part of the therapy behind that is like, um, letting oh, it go. Or... Yeah, like because it seems almost like the diagnosis of body dysmorphia allowed you to ignore a problem. Yes, yes, and, exactly. And it's almost the the solution <laughs> to that is to use it as a way of ignoring yeah yeah almost like i was like you know you just you're overthinking it um it's probably not as bad as you think it really is because no one's pointed it out to you so you know let's just keep living in denial (laughs) but so we get to like later in 2017 and one more question because i know that testosterone boosts uh people's libido did you see an Mm. an increase in 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 physical desire in step with Um, the other changes going on somewhat um, kind of, I think, I don't know if I really had an increase in libido. Maybe I did, but I think the way I, um, viewed my attraction is different. So like this, um, this girl I worked with who I had feelings for, and I hope she never sees this cause that would be just really embarrassing. Um, uh, I think like maybe like the fantasies I had or if I was to let myself think that we could be like a couple, um, I think the way I viewed like potential sexual encounters was always me being more dominant or, but before that, I don't really think I viewed myself as like a dominant kind of person in a sexual kind of way. Not that, oh. I don't want to get into that kind of stuff because I don't. Yeah, I'm just wondering if if there's yeah. just a change. Like, I don't. We don't need yeah, to get into I, the I details, so. but there's a. Um, there's a, a I think a it was more just like concentration of your. Yeah, I, I think yeah, the way I viewed myself in like a sexual way was probably different mm-hmm. to how I used to, but like I was saying at the start, I don't know. I don't really. I didn't really have much of a like yeah fixed sense of a sexual identity or like even attraction mm-hmm. or desire. So everything felt new. Like I didn't really have much to compare it to. So even then it made it difficult to really know. 
Okay. Who I was and or where you're yeah. headed. It's, yeah. It's a this is what I mean. Like identity is just like a focal point of this. <laughs> um yeah. so in two thousand seventeen, so this was uh in I think September two thousand seventeen, I had I crashed my car, which doesn't seem like a big deal in relation to this, but I had like a minor meltdown about it. I don't think I was dealing very well with my anxiety and other things happening. So that, um, I guess was a turning point because it propelled me to take action. Um, so I organized an appointment with a counselor at a mental health service we have in the area. So, um, I met with a community health nurse and I was referred to an intake assessment with a general practitioner. So this service is a, um, mental health and physical health. It's a combined service. Um, and you can self-refer and there's easy access points. So if you're having difficulty with mental health and you're aged between, um, I can't remember the exact ages, like, I mean, like 10 and 25, for example, mm-hmm. um, you can go there and you're entitled to confidentiality. Um, you can talk about issues with a counsellor or a psychologist or for a broad range of problems. So I knew about this service and I made myself an appointment but there's a long waiting list for those reasons because it's free and it's for young people and young people have issues <laughs> um so <laughs> and not a lot of money so and exactly exactly um so i waited a bit for that appointment and my intention to go was to um start really trying to figure out my anxiety because i think my responses to things um at the time were quite overdramatic in a sense like Mm. crashing my car although no one was hurt nothing really bad happened but I think I overreacted in a way like I wasn't I didn't feel like myself like Mm. something like that shouldn't have hurt me as much as it did I guess um yeah so that propelled me to take action um but the GP I saw after like a month or so of booking the appointment or was it the nurse? I don't remember who made the notes, but they, although I was seeking mental health advice, they noted that I think the term for it is like pursuitism, which is like male-like hair growth on the face or body. Okay. Um, being pursuit, I think, is the term. Um, so they noted that in the assessment, although I didn't really go for that. And I'd seen GPs in the past, but no one had really made note of it. So this nurse or doctor, whoever I saw, did. So from there, um, it was discussed and family history was discussed and trying to track if I had any other hormonal issues, um, like in terms of menstrual cycle or other things that can happen with hormonal issues, like... um, there's a disorder, polycystic, oh, it's a syndrome actually, polycystic ovarian syndrome, um, where females have it. Uh, and one of the symptoms or one of the diagnostic criteria is um, increased hair growth mm-hmm. or male like hair growth. But there's also other elements to be diagnosed with that. Like it's usually in women who overweight or there's other elements. Yeah. There's other stressors that can initiate that system. Yeah. So 
they were trying to, I guess, figure out what the hell was going on. So I was But they knew something was going on and they told you that something's going on. So you knew yeah, that something well, was going on at this point. I think that's when I was just like, oh, like, you know, a doctor's telling me this, like, probably should look into it. Hmm. Um, even then, like, I mean, I probably already knew, but I didn't want to do anything about it because there was a lot of, I guess, shame regarding it. Like, hmm. I was embarrassed, I guess, because, I don't know, like, I think the hair growth in particular was what I was quite embarrassed about. And I didn't really want to tell someone about it because, like, would it, I think I had in my head like, if I if nothing was wrong with me, um, then I just look like this naturally, and I didn't want that either. Hmm. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> hmm. okay. um, so I was booked. Do you have questions? Do you want me to keep going? <laughs> no, keep on going. We're almost to the. Uh, there's a knife a or or a scanner or something coming up here. <laughs> yeah. Some medical so, technology is going to happen. Yeah. So I was booked in to have an ultrasound and from the ultrasound, they, um, I think want to assess my ovaries, um, to see if they were polycystic. Um, and I think they, the, um, the person who was doing it, I don't know her title. Um, she asked if she could do like a transvaginal procedure, which is like, they have like this wand thing and they like stick it up. Yeah. And they like Mm -hmm. assess on an internal level. (laughs) Um, there's something else going on. Um, mm-hmm. I probably could talk about this with more respect, but oh well. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's it's your canal, so speak it Literally. as you would. <laughs> anyway, um, so from there, I think it was documented that there was um, an area of concern or an area that needed to be investigated. So mm-hmm. I did a lot of blood work. Um, like I got very used to just, hmm. yeah, having a needle in my arm, I guess, and other kinds of, um, yeah, like they were, I don't know, they, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head like what they were really looking for, um, but I got a call from the general practitioner, and I think she was the one that discussed the potential of there being a tumor she had access to like medical imaging but hmm. that was then deemed out of her scope so okay. she had to refer me on and that's when i met an endocrinologist so okay yeah i met him in november when the gp was out of scope and and, and that's this the, tumor's somewhere in your womanly regions then no actually oh, okay. um it was on my right adrenal gland so the adrenal glands sit above the kidneys oh, okay huh. um but there are cases which are more common, I believe, where um, the tumour is somewhere in the ovary region and they're usually referred to, I believe, a gynaecologist rather than an endocrinologist. But I was referred to an endocrinologist um, where more medical imaging was done, so like a CT and an MRI, uh, more blood work, um, <laughs> more blood work. And that's, I think when I first met with him, he had an inkling of what it could be, but yeah, they needed more imaging to diagnose. So I think the second time I saw him, he was like, yeah, we think you have a pure androgen secreting adrenal tumor, which Wait, is hold on. a pure androgen yep. secreting. 
Um, pure wow. androgen secreting adrenal tumor. Yeah, that's what it did. It just predominantly, exclusively only produced male hormones. And is this congenial? This is just a random kind of freak growth kind of thing. Does it come from anywhere? Do we know? It just uh, happens. Yeah, good question. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It just uh, naturally occurring in a way. But I remember my first appointment with the endocrinologist and he was like, you could pass as a boy. Like if he was, because he's in that professional field, he could recognize the signs. But on like a social scale of things like, and to the public, I was probably being clocked as a boy. And I was also, like I was saying, like dressing in a masculine way. Like I was yeah, trying to like it all. Yeah. fit. Was your tumor producing a lot of androgens? Yeah. Or... yeah. It doesn't mean much to me because I'm not an endocrinologist. So testosterone, the reference range for a female, for example, is between like 0.2 and 1.8. And mine was at 6.2. Oh, geez. I don't know what kind of measurement that is on. Like, it's like some micro milliliter. Okay, yeah. And like, do I, you know I, what that compares to uh, a boy in your situation or a male? They do you um, have that number on hand. You don't uh, no, I don't have, have that okay. number. But, but it's you're I, way above the female range. Way above. And like okay. uh, DHEAS, which is another um, androgen. So normal range 1.0 to... 11.7 and mine was at 47.1 <laughs> so, yeah i mean i don't really know what that means on a scale of things but yeah definitely above what it should be in a healthy range yeah so i think my endocrinologist was quite uh i wouldn't say excited but some kind of i think he wanted to work with me because <laughs> it was so rare and he hadn't come uh-huh. across something like that i think it was only like um, he'd read about it and there's not much because I remember having a lot of questions for him but he would have to like say you know there's not a lot of there's not the greatest deal of information about this like I don't mm-hmm. have all the answers for you hmm. um, but one of the first questions or one of the first things I thought about when it was like official when they're like yeah you have this tumor and it's creating like a disproportionate amount of um, testosterone in your body. Um, one of the first questions I had was like, is the tumor the reason why I'm gay? Hmm. You said that out loud. Uh, I think I did ask him. I don't hmm. remember what response I got, but that was like the main area of concern I had. I thought going through the surgery, because surgery is the intervention you have to get rid of it. Um, I thought that would steal it from me. Hmm. in a way like being gay because i thought I'd, I'd come through this whole journey of it all like this is how i identify like um i feel like comfortable in myself in that regard and like i dress this specific way and this means that and all these things yeah, um, this whole network of identity had been built up yeah and if that if yeah, that tumor exactly. took that away then you would have to start all over again or yeah that was where i was coming fear. from okay um but I mean, I think when I first made contact with you, I mentioned something like, you know, I feel like I have a unique experience with this, but I will, I don't really know if that's the case because when I was recovering from surgery, uh, there's like a polycystic ovarian syndrome. So PCOS is the acronym and there's like a subreddit 
and oh, okay. I remember typing in PCOS and lesbian or PCOS and gay. And because one of the symptoms of that syndrome is increased testosterone, I wasn't the only one that had feelings about my sexuality being informed by my hormone levels. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was reassuring in a way. But, I mean, it's not uncommon, I think, for females with high levels of testosterone to have a complicated relationship with sexuality or at least an uncertainty mm. or, yeah, which is sad. But um, How is that sad? Yeah. I don't know. I just... I think I'm now at a place where it's just like, just be whatever you want. Okay. Um, or maybe it comes from a place where these people might be looking for answers and those answers they might not find. And it's mm. better just to um, accept your feelings at the time and don't put too much pressure on the fact that those feelings could change. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so I was terrified that my identity would be taken away from me. Um, but, you know, I was also gladly rational enough at the time that I knew I had to go through with the surgery. There was a moment where, like, <laughs> I was quite defiant and I met with another general practitioner and I was just like, I don't believe I have a tumor. Like I'm not doing this. And huh. like surgery was like four days later or something. Oh geez. But okay. it all happened quite quickly. I was pretty lucky in like in terms of our public health system, where, uh, you know, I had all this imaging done free of charge. Basically, met with an endocrinologist who probably took sympathy upon me, and I was lucky. I didn't have to have any financial stress in that regard, and mm. I was, I think, fast forwarded through like a surgical waiting list due to issues um the the immediacy of your issue yeah 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 um what about the other side effects so there's body hair and then kind of bone Mm -hmm. structure and then perhaps uh, psychological stuff uh i guess we'll get to how that changed perhaps some of your anxiety or depression but also your sexuality Mm. but there are there other long-term adverse effects of that tumor on you like it was your reproductive system going through weirdness was there other uh, so i was still menstruating which my endocrinologist found quite unusual Okay, so that's pretty unusual. Uh, but I'm still right? getting my period. Yeah. Okay. Um, but I don't think I was ovulating. So although I was still, like, bleeding, mm-hmm. I don't think I was fertile at the time, mm-hmm. I think, if that's the right terminology mm-hmm. around it. It was a whole learning experience. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, um, I don't really know if there's many long-term effects other than the fact that um, I still have polycystic ovaries, which a long-term effect of that could be fertility issues. But I still, I think in the case study, like it was proposed that polycystic ovaries is secondary to the tumor. So the Caused tumor maybe. What do you mean secondary? So um, that the polycystic ovaries ovaries is an effect of okay. having the tumor. 
okay. maybe for the amount of time it was there or the stress it put on like and so you did have or do have polycystic ovaries which i i have to just use my basic latin to say that you have many cysts upon your ovaries is that what that means yeah okay. yeah 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 <laughs> um which is a separate yeah, so. condition that's secondary to the uh, the tumor, they which believe. was removed, mm-hmm. probably pretty yes. simply. Was that an outpatient uh, um, surgery or a couple days yes, in the hospital? So, uh, it was it was keyhole surgery, so it was quite non-invasive compared to other forms of surgery. Okay. Uh, they removed the adrenal gland as well as the tumor due to the way the tumor was sitting on the adrenal gland. Um, okay. They couldn't. And because your body, like with kidneys, can function with just one. Okay. But the reason I stayed in hospital maybe a little bit longer was because I think something to do with cortisol or another stress hormone or adrenaline. They had to run tests and I couldn't okay. go home straight away because I don't think they could just send me home and not be certain of the yeah, hormonal effect it could have had. Um, so yeah, that all happened quite suddenly and rapidly. Um, and, and I remember what was the effect, sorry, you were saying you remember what? That's okay. Uh, um, yeah, like I was saying before, like, I just remember like joking with friends, um, that when like the tumor is removed, maybe I won't be gay anymore. Ha ha ha. Um, yeah. even though I didn't want that to be the truth, I think I was just, putting it out there maybe but hey who knows but in regards to the effect what do you mean did it change Uh, your mood did it change your outlook on life when i had it removed yeah i mean i'm sure there's physical changes that occurred afterwards but what were the emotional Mm. yeah okay um so my anxiety began to reduce um felt more in control I returned back to studying uh, after a year and a half, probably away from it. Um, I began to speak more, uh, express myself, talk more openly about experiences. Uh, I became more in tune with my surroundings and emotions. I was making more decisions. And other people, yeah. Wait, is being more in tune with other people? Is that what you mean? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I wasn't as isolated or reserved. I, I mean, I still kind of am that way, but less of it. Um, I was making more decisions about my future. I became less concerned with the outsider's perception of myself. Um, so those kinds of things, definitely, I started to notice. It wasn't uh, quickly, um, just gradually over time. Mm-hmm. But I think it... I had high hopes, I think. I thought um, because the testosterone was quite um, quick to go back into normal ranges, I think I thought that meant that the symptoms that come with high levels of testosterone would reduce just as quickly, but it doesn't work that way. Hmm. So I think I was still quite conscious and finding it quite difficult to accept maybe some of 
the long-term or potential permanent changes it had on my Did body. Did you have somebody to talk to about that? Yeah, so... Oh, friend that you can... Yeah, I lived with housemates at the time, um, and I had, like, a quite solid friend base. Um, and my sister, the triplet sister, um, we have, like, a more close connection compared to me and my other siblings and I found it easier to talk to her about it mm-hmm. than most people and like she's gone through her own issues regarding identity as well like mm-hmm. I know two sides of the same coin almost hmm. um she yeah struggled a lot with like eating disorder stuff and still mm-hmm. does and that too creates a lot of changes within the self and the physical form and uh, concerns about perception. Mm-hmm. So we had similar issues with identity, but came from different places. Yeah. I think. Did your because you had a androgen, a purely androgen mm-hmm. secu- secreting tumor? Um, yes. And and you're not sure if your sister's a twin, uh, identical twin or not. Yeah. Did, was there a pretty uh, strong divergence of you uh, between you physically uh, that you can attribute to the injection of androgens into your system? Did you start looking more and more different at that point? Did I start looking different? Yeah. Um, From her? Yeah, I started looking more like my brother. Huh. Uh, like, and I'd never really been compared to him much before, but when I came home, like, throughout the year or so, um, I get more and more comments about it. Like, oh, you look like him. I'm like, yeah, I do. Um, okay. but yeah. Um, but we have similar features now. We looked quite, it was hard to tell us apart growing up, but I think as we went, we both went through a lot of changes in regards to our physical form through different mm-hmm. reasons. Um, I think that's kind of had like long-term effects and I don't know if we really will look as similar as we used to, hmm. which hmm. is sad almost, <laughs> hmm. but like, it's good in a way cause um, maybe we're more distinguishable and maybe that's something I wanted in, I don't know. It's hmm. that's just fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's just a, a whole level of uh, self-reflection that, yeah. I mean, literal self-reflection that you have in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you had somebody you, that you, you had people that you could talk through this stuff, the post, post-surgery and, and kind of come to terms or discover or explore these different, I, I guess yeah. it's another puberty in a way. It's another yeah. you know, physical mm-hmm. change, probably with a lot of emotional uh, weirdness and, and stuff going yeah. on. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I became more, um, although I had people around me, I did become more, like, self-reflective, I guess trying to document or at least journal um, Mm. stuff. More my emotional state, I think I became less concerned with um, the reverse physical effects. Um, Mm. Did you, so you said you did a whole bunch of pictures before then. Did you kind of (laughs) stop taking pictures after then? No, I kept doing that. I think... Hmm. Yeah, I still do that. Is there like a flip book that you're going to release at some point in your life? Like, watch Oh, me maybe. <laughs> yeah, I showed my endocrinologist the other day just because I oh. wanted, yeah, I, f- I feel like I'd be interested in it. Um, yeah. Just to map 
the changes. Yeah, make a flip book. That's a good idea. Um, and but and so you're still seeing a inter- endocrinologist and is he helping you regulate these things and you're just doing daily checkups or uh, i guess monthly checkups or something like that not daily or monthly at the moment i'm doing more seeing him on a six-month basis and i do more blood tests but that's to see if i'm still within normal range or if there's any areas of concern Mm -hmm. i still uh, maybe I've i've probably done more like ct mris since but just one of each um and i still meet with a surgical team as Mm. well um yeah so i still keep in touch with Hmm. all the people who help me out why why do you meet with a surgical team regularly just to get poked at they're just like oh Um, yeah we'll just look inside (laughs) of you i don't even do that um (laughs) I think because of the unusual, okay. although the tumor was benign, it was yeah. active. So I think there was still hmm. concern of malignancy. Okay. Um, so they did um, pathology reports and stuff hmm. about its, I don't know, like Thing. the cells stuff. Yeah. I don't know, whatever it was. Oh, it kind of flies over my head a bit. Like I wish I yeah. could understand more, but like it's not really one of those things that's easy to understand. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and when, when was the surgery? How long ago was that? Uh, 18 months ago. So oh, I had okay. it. So a year and a half then. Yeah. February of 2018. Wow. And I guess that year, yeah. Like I went back to studying, I was getting more of a grip on reality hmm. and myself. Um, but to war- and like, I was still quite confident in the fact I was a lesbian. Okay. Um, and I was, I was kind of relieved. I was just like, oh yeah, like, haha, suckers. Like you all thought, <laughs> um, I was gonna pull a 180 or a 360 or something. And you're talking to the voices in your head, not so much your society or is it? <laughs> yeah. 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 And like, that's kind of what I thought other people were thinking as well. Okay. Yeah. Like, I think the anxiety of it, I was like, oh, they're all thinking that because I've had this happen to me, that it's going to result in this and just, Hmm. yeah, anxiety about it. But uh, I did start questioning my sexuality more towards the end of 2018. Um, So it was almost one year after surgery. Hmm. And because I was um, becoming more in tune with myself and recognizing or being more aware of, uh, like, my behavior and thoughts, I think I did start, well, I did probably start to recognize that maybe I wasn't exclusively attracted to women because Mm. that became more obvious when I realized I probably was like developing uh, feelings for a guy. And Mm. I think I recognized that not in so much ways of sexual attraction because that's something I've never really had like much of a grasp on, but it was more on like a level of emotionally emotional like intimacy like wanting to share parts of myself with this person um in a way i wouldn't really do to just random people or maybe even friends was this surprising for you yeah it was surprising and i didn't really know what to do with it like i think i found myself thinking about him a lot and (laughs) but it was also weird at the time as well because i was still presenting i guess more on like that butch 
female spectrum of things. So it was kind of like, even though I was like realizing I had feelings for him, I was also like, oh, well, I think I got myself stuck in like a lot of, it's hard to describe, like, because I presented the way I did, it was just like, well, he's not going to have feelings for me if I look like this. Okay. <laughs> Even though that kind of doesn't fully encapsulate the complexity of sexuality because... Yeah. Or the human being or, or I mean... Yeah. You know, and, and totally mating with somebody other than just physically, yeah. like really yeah. partnering with somebody. But like the physicality of things became, I guess, yeah. quite... A focal point mm-hmm. um but i think as soon as like i could admit to myself like hey like you're probably not a lesbian and that's okay and i think i was more worried about having to retell a story again like i didn't come out mm-hmm. to everyone and i was throughout the years tempted to like do the whole public coming out and just tell everyone and why not and Mm-hmm. freedom for all um yeah so more of a political act yeah rather but I than never... a personal yeah. affirmation yeah and i think the public act in my eyes could have resulted in personal affirmation but i never went through with it okay. um i did think about it i was like oh but at the same time like i was still reserved and quite private and it didn't really seem it would fit myself if I was just to make some public service announcement on Facebook or something. Like, yeah. it would be quite unfitting. But as soon as I could, like, recognize it, um, it, like, flipped a switch, I guess. Like, I just – it didn't really matter anymore, almost. Like, all those concerns I had about having to retell a story and being judged on the fact that I didn't have, like, a f- stable sense of – identity like it just kind of washed away in a sense Hmm. um what what would that matter anyways if you had a stable identity i mean other than i understand for yourself like knowing who you are but Mm. no this whole idea of of uh of social identity seems pretty prevalent in just in your generation like in the facebook generation and this is what i am this is how you category categorize me but i guess at some point you realized after wrestling with it, that what did it, what does it really amount to? Exactly. Like it doesn't matter. <laughs> like, no, what matters is like you're a good person, I mm-hmm. guess. Um, it just, I don't know. Maybe it is a generational thing. Like we're more obsessed with this idea of labeling through a means of understanding the other maybe Hmm. like if you Mm -hmm. say you're this thing then maybe people will understand you more but that doesn't really help anyone understand anyone you know like it's more about having conversation and finding things in common or not in common and Hmm. it's about more than just a label you ascribe to yourself like well, and the and the adventure of investigating and being investigated by another human being, which we could call love or romance, that that mm-hmm. whole quest um, can, 
I guess can be sort of encapsulated by these identities just to get through the door, but the, there's so much more to a human being once you initiate that relationship and, and where that could possibly go and what level you can get to with another human being. We'll never be exactly. able to fit inside those categories. Yeah. Like I was so much more concerned with um, the label I would use um, and share with people, but I, I didn't really focus on like parts of myself or like personality traits or hmm. the more important parts like being genuine and being honest and uh, being kind and compassionate, like words I would use to describe myself but not deeming them as important as some arbitrary label. Hmm. And once you were free of that, where did your attention go? Once you were free, I guess, specifically of, am I a lesbian? Am I gay? Am I not? Yeah. What's yeah. that? It seems like you, you described a moment where that became a non-issue. Yeah. I think where did I your attention just... start going? Well, I think I did become yourself. like more uh, fixated or along the lines of that with this male I was thought I had feelings for. So that hmm. took up a portion, but I think the sense of freedom I found within myself, I just felt more inclined to uh, dedicate myself to more things. I didn't feel, I felt like I could just do more. So I started like working more and studying more and researching more and hmm. all of that. Researching but what? I like all this stuff. I like looking into like sexuality, gender, identity, and looking into similar cases like mine, um, mental health sides of things. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know, all that stuff. Like it's been very interesting for me to watch your videos and um, look into people who have, yeah, like I was saying when I first got in contact with you about feeling like the terminology around um, transition and detransition felt like I could use it in a sense because maybe in a way I have been doing that. Like, although I wasn't, I wouldn't probably describe myself as having like gender dysphoria. It's not like I ever really stopped identifying with like my womanhood, but I think the mechanisms at play are quite similar in that testosterone has effects and I experienced that and then on both ends. And I think that's why I probably, yeah, found some sense of comfortability with other women who have detransitioned in a way, although we've come from two different places, maybe. Do you have, uh, do you think that you have anything that you could possibly say to women who are going through a shift in identity about how, uh, how to put their attention or, or where you think focusing your attention uh, could have gone towards a, a productive, uh, uh, I guess, development mm. of yourself? I think part of the human condition is wanting acceptance, and I think that's something I always wanted because at the other end of acceptance is rejection, and to be rejected is to be on the outside, and we all want to be on the inside, but you have to start with yourself, I think. You think you've... Um, uh, you think you've got a place to be accepting of yourself? Do you think that that 
that's kind of returned to you or, or that you've earned that yeah. at this point? Yeah, I've earned it. <laughs> I think so after everything, I've earned it. <laughs> um, and there's definitely things I still think about and like things I still struggle with, like in terms of body and I mean, even just the effects of testosterone, like hair on my face and stuff. And I don't know if that's ever going to be completely back to how I was before all these hormonal changes started occurring. But I remember coming across, because I was sort of into the whole politics or maybe discourse around um, women who are gender non-conforming or maybe through even a feminist lens that there's these conversations about, you know, it's valid to have body hair and, you know, you don't have to shave or remove it or, you know, it's great to accept yourself as you are, which I totally agree with Mm -hmm. but I think I ignore the fact that there could be also hormonal reasons I think that's such an important thing is I'm not saying that everyone who has Has dark horse body hair has a hormonal issue either but um just like that that diagnosis of body dysmorphia allowed you to ignore things like the 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 diagnosis or the cure of self-acceptance can be yes. used to ignore things too. So it's important. It's important to step outside of the diagnosis um, uh, or the cure or the problem in order to look at uh, honestly wh- where you are, what's yeah. going on with your body. Yeah, and that's where it comes and like, you know, just check in with yourself. Or if you can't check in with yourself, I think the important message through this, I guess you could say, is. Um, and this is, speaks to more of like the medical community, I guess, but hmm. with um, general practitioners or primary healthcare providers, like the first people you see, whether it be a doctor or a nurse or something, need to be able to identify these things. Like I was saying, like I saw other GPs and mm-hmm. no one had noted that there could be something wrong. And it wasn't until things got to where they were that something was done about it. And like I'm very lucky and grateful and fortunate that. I met some very intelligent people, medical professionals that were able to help me. But I think, well, in the case study, um, the key message was the importance of co-located primary um, mental and it's having like mental and physical um, health care combined. Okay, yeah. Um, and the importance of that because I did present with anxiety and that was my main concern but they could see beyond that and yeah. see that there's something else going on. So, I don't know, body and mind, it's a, they work together in a complicated format, mm-hmm. <laughs> like mm-hmm. very complicated, and I don't think I'm ever going to be able to understand it or coherently talk about it, but... They're rather yeah. inextricable, at least so far as yeah. we know them to be in this world. Yeah. Definitely. And no, no matter how far we run away from that, too. <clears throat> exactly. Did you just put on boots? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how did you know that? <laughs> I could just tell. I don't know why. <laughs> it was all like the movements. I'm lacing them on. There's yeah. something going on down there. 